Well, morning, everybody. Welcome to everyone who's joining us online, which is probably an exceptionally larger number on the beautiful Sunday morning weathers that we have these days. So thanks for making the trek, pressing through the elements. It's great to have all of you here. And we've spent this past week, we call it our prayer week, prayer week 2019. There were 142 hours of prayer in our prayer room this week. How encouraging is that? 142 hours. And uh, thanks for all of you who were a part of that. And I thought about that song we were just singing. I think some of those hours were probably, right, um, shadows being lighting, right? The lighting of the shadows and the climbing of the mountains and the knocking down of walls and tearing down lies. And I think all those things, right, where God overwhelms us. I was in Matthew 18 this morning praying and the Lord reminded me that, you know, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, Jesus said. Where two or three are gathered, there I'm with you. And uh, I I calculated up, since we opened the prayer room, I think it's been 13 years um, we've had the prayer room open, we just crossed the 2,000-hour mark of prayer in the prayer room. How about that? That's encouraging. So I just happened to just think, Lord, what has been bound in those 2,000 hours? I wonder when we get to the end of the run... When we get to glory and we're standing with Jesus, I wonder if Jesus pulls back the veil for us and says, hey, Eagle Church family, let me show you when you really got stuff done. And I wonder if we got the most done when it appeared we were doing the least. When you stop for an hour and you set aside your phone and technology and you get on your knees or you, get, you sit down with a Bible and an open heart and a journal and you say, here's an hour, Lord. And it appears we're, we're not doing anything. What are you doing during that hour? I wonder if the Lord says, that's when you're doing the most, right there. That's when things, mountains started moving and walls started coming down during those hours. So we'd love to hear some stories from prayer week. We not only gathered in the prayer room all week, we also had two evening gatherings on Tuesday night, next gen, Friday night missions. Uh, some of you came out for that. Thank you for being a part of those. So we'd, we'd love to hear stories about how God has been at work in prayer week. And also, we launched Alpha on Wednesday night. How many of you were part of Alpha? All the hands in the room go up for Alpha. We had over 150 people here on Wednesday night for Alpha. It was so encouraging. 16 tables and uh, lots of good community starting to spark. A lot of folks who maybe didn't know each other but sit around each other and, you know, that kind of deal. And um, so we had Alpha start on Wednesday night. We had our prayer week start. And then just our whole series, this battle series we've been in here in January. So here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to hear stories from you, and here's your mechanism, info at eaglechurch.com. Can you just jot that down? Info at eaglechurch.com. And it's our way, just, would you just send us some stories about how God's been at work? Or just stories in general, you just feel like maybe God's meeting you, maybe it's in a really difficult place, it doesn't have to necessarily be a breakthrough, maybe it's a really difficult time, but God's showing himself faithful, or maybe there's just been some really neat God moments. Um, we just love to stir those up. Get those from you guys, and we'll try to figure out a way to, uh, with your permission, of course, we'd come back to you and say, hey, with your permission, we'd like to figure out a way to share some of those, because it's encouraging to hear the work of God going on in others, right? And especially after a week like this, where so many of you were calling out to God for some big things in our prayer week itself, let's also give God glory when we see this amazing thing where God says, call to me, Jeremiah 33, 3, and I'll show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Isn't it unbelievable as a human being that we get to like pray to the eternal God of the universe? If you thought like we get to talk to him and then 
Stuff happens. Like that is, that's unbelievable. If I ever get tired of that, go throw me in the frozen lake out there or something. Like that's unbelievable. That's amazing that God says, call out to me. And then we get to see stuff happen. Like things, he does stuff. And you know, we go, well, how does that affect like what he was already, hey, forget all the theological, but just God says, call to me and then stuff happens. That's like a with God life. Is there anything better than that? And so I'm just so encouraged as we come off of a prayer week and we think about that. So give us some stories, info at eaglechurch.com, and we'll start sharing uh, the God moments with others as well. All right, open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to wrap up our battle series uh, this morning. I recall a conversation I had with a good friend several years ago, went something like this. I was asking him, hey, how I could be praying for him that week. And he was a young father and husband at the time, traveled a fair amount, worked really hard to provide for his family. And he said this to me. He said, Eric, I really want to do a good job with my work and I want to lead the way God wants me to lead. But I feel like there's this pile of temptations 12 inches from my life. I can feel the pull, he said. I can hear the lies and I need God's help. Anybody been there? Maybe that's where this morning finds someone. Maybe this morning finds you a pile of temptations 12 inches from your heart. That's real life right there. And the passage we're looking at this morning is a picture of Jesus engaging in a battle. So I entitled this morning, If Jesus Faced This. So here's the picture. Every single person we lock eyes with is going through some great battle. Everybody. Emotional, relational, spiritual, vocational, financial. Everybody's going through some great battle. That's not the question. The question is, how are we going to fight in the midst of that battle? And we started earlier in the month with Jehoshaphat, and we learned about how we're going to pray in the face of our battle, 2 Chronicles 20. And then we looked at Gideon in Judges 6 and 7, and we're going to learn to worship in the face of our battles, like Ian charged us to do today, with sharp swords. We want to pray, and we want to worship. And then last week with Joshua, and Joshua 3, and the crossing of the Jordans, and the stone that has a story, right? And we step into the water's edge, and we get our feet wet. We get our feet wet. We obey in the face of our battles. So it's worship, pray, trust, obey, right in the face of our battles. That's the weapons, that's the instruction God gives us when you find yourself in the middle of a situation maybe you never imagined being in, or 12 inches from your heart. What are we going to do? And if Jesus found himself there, gang, here's a picture this morning. The thought that you're ever going to graduate from this. We never like, you never move on from this, right? You realize Like the early desert father said, right? You're going to have warfare your whole life. It just looks different in each decade. That's reality. So the question we're going to look at today is how did Jesus, when he found himself in the middle of a battle, what things do we learn from how he navigated it and kind of add it to the rest of them that we've looked at this month with Jehoshaphat and Gideon and Joshua? I thought appropriate that we kind of give Jesus the last word in how we fight our battles. Amen. So here's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the setting. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, notice capital S, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In your Bibles, you might want to circle the word tempted there and just write beside it. This is the Greek word parazo. 
perazzo. It means to entice or to, to entice or to test. Now, here's the important thing to understand. God doesn't tempt us to sin. That's not, God doesn't tempt us to sin. Instead, God leads us into a space, into circumstances that test our faith, that grow us and mature us and strengthen us. Notice it's the Spirit leading Jesus out in the desert to endure a parazzo, and a testing, a sifting, a strengthening, a maturing. It's like William Barclay. I think I put this in your notes. If you haven't pulled out your message notes, you can fire them up on the app as well. You can get them electronically there if you didn't get them handed on the way in. William Barclay said this, temptation is the test that comes to a person whom God wishes to use. So in one sense, this, if you feel like temptation is coming hard 12 inches from your heart, it's probably a good indication that you're right on the threshold of a significant like next step in your walk with God and fruitfulness and something. There's something going on that this temptation and this testing is God wants to use to strengthen, to mature, to develop. So don't be discouraged just because you're in the middle of that battle. If Jesus faced this, we also will face this. And the other thing to note is, when did this occur for Jesus? Those of you who know your Bibles well, right? Matthew chapter 3, what happened at the end of Matthew 3? Jesus was baptized. So heavens opened, Spirit of God descended. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. It was a spiritual mountaintop moment for Jesus at, at the end of Matthew 3. And this is a rhythm, right? Right on the heels of spiritual mountaintops come parazzo, times of testing. So right on the heels of Matthew 3, right, this is what, hey, you go on a mission trip. Welcome back, Kenya team. We're so glad you're back. We're glad you're back safe and sound. We can't wait to hear the stories. But Kenya team, heads up. This is you guys. It was mountaintop so many ways. You saw God move and God used your life and you come back spiritually energized, physically depleted, but spiritually you're just on fire. You've just seen God at work. It's awesome. Here's the you're end of Matthew 3. Prepare. Often what you're ushered into now is a Matthew 4 parazzo. Or maybe you go to a conference or a retreat, right? You have this big moment, like a defining moment, stake in the ground moment. Hallelujah, rejoice. Prepare, right? Matthew 4 is coming. Right on the heels of Matthew 3, baptism. Matthew 4, wilderness. This is how the rhythm works. You say, what, God's, what is God up to with that? He's wanting to press those roots down deeper. He wants to develop us, to grow us, to mature us. And do you know a, a good set of ingredients for that is put us right in the middle of a wilderness, temptation, parazzo type moments. And that's gonna pull some things out of us if we'll battle them out with God the right way. And so this is where we find Jesus. And we got three rounds now to this battle, Jesus. And he's got a three-round fight going on here in the wilderness. Look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's like an understatement of the year right there. Come on now. I can't go 40 minutes without food. 40 days? 40 nights? Are you kidding me? He was hungry. Now watch now, round one. Where does Satan go to press this parazzo upon him? Where, where does he go? Verse three. The tempter, Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of 
of God. So round one, we're going to call this round the battle with indulging our appetites, right? Here's the first round of the battle, indulging your appetite, right? Satan knows Jesus is hungry. How many of you know that, he, that the enemy knows where we're most vulnerable, where we're most vulnerable, and when we're most vulnerable? You know that, right? He knows that, and he comes at that spot. So part of the battle, half the battle, be aware of this. Hey, he's coming at Jesus because he's hungry, and he's trying to take, hear this now, a legitimate desire, right? There's a distortion of a legitimate desire here. It's not a sin for Jesus to be hungry. It's not a sin for Jesus to want food. Satan takes a legitimate desire, and there's a distortion of that legitimate desire because he's trying to use it to get him to kind of prove himself, right? Flex and show, kind of do a little spiritual magic trick with stones to bread. He's trying to manipulate this legitimate desire called hunger at the end of a 40-day fast. And that happens in our lives, right? We can, the enemy will try to take a legitimate desire and distort it. And this is the battle of indulging our appetites in round one. So, for example, those of you who are single and you long to be married, and you feel like you've been single far too long, and you're in the struggle bus with this, here's it. It's a legitimate desire you have to want to be married. That's legitimate. That's a good thing. Here's the caution. But if you take that desire and you start violating your values, if you start pressing a relationship farther than it needs to go, if you start settling for less than God's best, if you start acting out of impatience, you hear me now? That's the turn stones to bread. That's the indulging an appetite in the wrong way. It's, it's like a surface level indulging. You're acting out out of a fear of being alone. You settle for all those things. That's a battle in round one. You tracking with me here? See, Satan comes and wants to distract us with like surface level stuff. This happened in any area of our life. Not just in the single married issue, it can happen in family life, it can happen in finance, it can happen in career, it can happen with technology. As great as technology is, there's a distortion of that, right? How much is available in one click? There's a distortion of that. It's okay to want to be connected, you just got to be wise in what you're connected to. So you've got you to go below the surface of whatever is that appetite. And here's where the enemy doesn't want us to get. He doesn't want us to press down into the deeper level hunger that's there. See, the deeper level hunger is going to lead you to what? If you'll, if you'll navigate, if you won't get distracted with the surface level appetites, if you'll stay with the deeper level hunger, here's what it's going to drive you to. It's going to drive you to living bread and living water. That's the only source of satisfaction in here. Do you see that? You're not going to settle for stones to bread. See, the temptation to act out of impatience, to settle for less than God's best, to satisfy the surface level cravings, that's stone to bread. Why would we, church, why would we settle for stones to bread when Jesus has spread a banquet table of his glory before us? That's round one. Jesus like, hey, I got a banquet table before me. Stones to bread, come on. And how did he battle it? Deuteronomy 6, he quoted, right? What did he say to it? It is written. You'll see this theme through the whole chapter here. It is written, what? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I wrote in my notes after that, it's okay to be hungry. The question is this, am I hungry for the right things? Are you hungry for the right things? When some of you walk out of the prayer room after an hour, that's what got stirred. 
Do you know what got stirred in that hour? You pressed below the surface and you got to the deeper part. And living bread and living water, you were pulled into that. Now, maybe 15 minutes later when you head out the door, all the things got distracted. But you follow me? It's in that space. What happens there? That's this. Hunger is a good thing. But the question is, am I hungry for the right things? Don't settle for stones to bread when there's a banquet table of his glory. Because we don't live on bread alone. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So that's round one, the battle to indulge our appetites. Now, round two, verse five, the devil then took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, notice that's the phrase he uses all the way, if you are the son of God. So that's the core, core question at hand, right? That's still, by the way, the core debate in most who don't follow Jesus today. The core issue is, is he the son of God or not? That's why Alpha is so important. That's why we spent Wednesday night talking about, what do we talk about? Who is Jesus? Is who he said he was? How can we be secure and confident in that? And I think for those of us who know him, it gave us even a deeper level of confidence and trust. Jesus is who he said he was, and here's how I can be confident in that. And maybe for those still on the fence about it, it it's challenging, right? It sifts some stuff. Say, hey, is he the son of God? That's where Satan's pressing right now. If, he's a, if you're the son of God, what? Throw yourself down. And notice now, Satan uses scripture. We'll come back to this. Notice, he quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the round one in his battle is the battle to indulge our appetites. Round two is the battle to prove yourself. You see the the text was talking about he took, uh, Satan took Jesus to the temple. So the temple had this place in it that was at the highest point. You see that in the scripture? The, there's this platform area that was at the top of the temple, kind of the highest point of the city, and it overlooked a, a big valley area. And the priest every morning would go up to this highest point of the temple and would walk out at sunrise and blow the trumpet. This was a regular routine. Blow the trumpet to communicate the sun is up for a new day. Morning sacrifice is to begin. So say, this is the scene. So people would be gathering at different points, waiting for the priest to come out, to stand in the highest place, to blow the trumpet and announce the morning sacrifice is here. So Satan says, why don't you go up there and just jump? And then throws in Psalm 91 on it. Do you see this? This is prove yourself. Prove yourself. Flex your Messiah muscles. Bound your chest. Say, look at me. I can jump several hundred feet and be just fine. That's what he's tempting him with. Do you see that? See, Satan knows Jesus has supernatural powers. Satan knows he's seen Jesus like heal people, calm storms, raise them from the dead. He knows Jesus has supernatural powers. Stay with me now. Do you realize often our battles are drawn in line with our gifts? You see this? Wherever we're most strongly gifted, that will be a place of battle for us that we have to be very aware of. So, maybe you're strongly gifted with imagination and creativity. Do you know, you know what your battle's going to be right there? To, to make sure that, that in that imagination and in that creativity, there's kind of boundaries that are God-honoring that keep it harnessed in. That's going to be a battle. Or maybe you're strongly gifted with mind and intellect. You know where your battlefront's going to be there? It's to keep a level of humility, to not come across with strong pride and, and kind of have this um, 
condescending approach to others around, you know, that, that's, that's a battle. Or maybe you're really physically gifted. Maybe there's strong gifts physically. You know your battle's going to be there? Your battle's going to be entitlement and superiority. That you feel like you're just kind of owed more of something and kind of deserve more of something because you're just put together different than everybody else. And that's, that's going to be a battle. Or maybe you're strongly gifted with words. Your battle's going to be make sure your tongue is being used to build others up in love. And don't let it run out of bounds there. Or maybe it's in leadership. Maybe you've been given strong gifts of leadership. Here's your battle in that. Your battleground for that's going to be make sure it's rooted in followership. Jesus-centered followership is the groundings for true leadership. What does that look like? That means you look out for others ahead of yourself. That means you're giving yourself away. That means you're dying to self. It means you're serving. That's going to be the battleground. You see this wherever? So look, wherever your line, wherever you got a strong, where's your giftedness? Where you're strongly gifted? What has God entrusted you with? Right there is going to be a context for a battle. And it's probably going to be an ongoing one. There'll be different degrees of it in different decades, but it's always going to be there. And to invite others into your life who help you like keep check on that. Because right here, it's a prove yourself moment, right? Just, hey, just prove yourself, Jesus. And how did he respond to it? Just like he responded before. Deuteronomy 6, now he quotes Deuteronomy 8. Satan quotes Psalm 91. Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 8 when he says, hey, don't put your Lord, your God, to the test. Don't test him. I hear Jesus saying, hey, look, say, listen, you want me to jump off the, you want me to stand up here in the presence, jump off and show him, like flex my Messiah muscles, right? It's like, hey, I don't need to prove myself to you or anyone. Do you see this in Jesus? Like, it's like, hey, here's the thing. He knows this. His father is going to be his defender. Do we know this? You're a son of the most high God. You're a daughter of the king. That's who you are. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone, including yourself. You're a son or daughter of the Most High God. And here's the thing. You know your father is going to get the last word every time. Here's what Jesus knows. Jesus is standing there probably thinking, all right, Satan, listen. I jump down off of here. No problem to land and be fine. That's not the issue. The issue is this. Just like when he stood before Pilate. Remember when the crowds are standing there and Pilate says, Jesus, why don't you defend yourself? What did Jesus do right there? He stood in silence. And he let the father get the last word. What's he looking to? Jesus knows this. He's like, hey, Satan, you want me to jump a few hundred feet down? I'm going to do way better than that. Just hold on. Resurrection Sunday's coming, right? That stone is going to roll away, and I'm going to walk out of there, and people are going to say, it's a whole lot different than jumping 400 feet down off this platform. He knew that, and he rested in that. That's the application. We have to prove ourselves. Our identity's in him. He's where we get our value and our worth, and from that place of value and worth, right, that we rest in that. God is with us. God is for us. God is able, and he'll get the last word. Now, the hard part is when the last word, like for Jesus, it took a while to get that last word. There was a lot of beating and mocking and bloodshed and, and injustice. That's a lot for our lives too, right? Some of you feel like you're in the middle of something. You're ready to prove yourself. That's wrong. Do you know who identifies most strongly with that? Jesus. That's your best companion. Some of you feel like injustice, that's wrong. Do you know your best companion there? It's Jesus. No one has endured injustice like him, and no one has brought redemption out of it like him. He brought the salvation for the world out of the, most, the greatest injustice this world has ever seen. They crucified an innocent man. So what does he need to prove? 
I don't need to put the Lord the God to the test. And he steps down off that platform and he knows Resurrection Sunday is coming. I'll get the last word right there. And everyone looking upon that will say, surely this is the Son of God. The Roman centurion even said that as he hung on that cross. So the right round number one, right? Indulging of the appetites. We got to sift through, right? Are we hungry for the right things? Not settling for surface, pressing to the deeper. Round number two, prove yourself. We got to be very clear with where are these battle lines in line with our giftedness because often where we're most strongly gifted, there will be a place of battle. Listen to how William Barclay put it this way. I put this in your notes. God expects a man to take risks in order to be true to him, but he does not expect him to take risks to enhance his own prestige. Stay with me here. The very faith which is dependent on signs and wonder is not faith. If faith cannot believe without sensations, it is not really faith. It is doubt looking for proof and looking in the wrong place. God's rescuing power is not something to be played and experimented with. It is something to be quietly trusting in the life of every day. That's how we navigate round two. And verse 8 says, there's a round three. Boy, how many of you feel this? Anybody just feel, does everybody just get tired sometimes of just one battle after another in life? And she's going three rounds at the end of a 40-day fat. Like, this spiritual battle stuff, this is relentless. We're never going to graduate from it. So we got to figure out how we're going to endure and work together and fight in it. Because if Jesus faced this, how much more? If he's going three rounds at the end of a 40-day fast, Imagine what's in store for us. Verse 8, where Jesus, the devil says, took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So round three is this battle for power. The battle for power. John 8, calls Satan the father of lies. Here's the native tongue for Satan. It's deceit. Deceit is his fluent, he's fluent in that language. And where's the core deception here? Do you see the core deception going on here? Of what, he's, what is he offering Jesus? He's offering Jesus something Jesus already has. You see that? What does he say? I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. If you'll bow down and worship me. Psalm 2 says the father has already installed his son of which all the splendor of all the nations and all the kingdoms, they're already his. They're his. And then he adds this. If you'll bow down and worship me. Where's the irony in that? Philippians 2 says every knee. Corey read earlier, Colossians 1, right? Philippians 2, Colossians 1. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and where? Under the earth. That what? Jesus Christ is Lord. So do you see this? So Satan comes. Here's the core deception for power and all this, right? He's like, hey, Jesus, high mountains, I'll give you all this. Jesus turns to him, quotes Deuteronomy 6 again, that worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan, here's the deal. You're offering me something I already have. The kingdoms of the world are already, I sit enthroned over that. And secondly, huh? 
who's going to bow to whom has already been decided. Every knee. Application to our lives is this, right? Listen, we get a choice now. The question isn't whether we're going to bow a knee to Jesus. That's settled. Everybody's going to bow a knee. Here's the question. Willingly in this life or unwillingly in the life to come? Church, wisdom, bow willingly in this life. It's the best of all possible lives. There's no better life to have than life with Jesus. You don't want to go unwillingly in the life to come. So he throws it right back to Satan. Isn't that amazing? His irony is like, hey, I already have the kingdoms of the world, and who's bowing to whom has already been settled. Checkmate. So three rounds. Do you see this? A three-round battle, Jesus. If Jesus faced this. And listen, this battle was so intense. Now, stay, look, look at verse 11. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Are you kidding me? So his life support group, his life group of support, angels. That'd be a great support group, wouldn't it? I mean, some of you really like your life group and all, but man, how about Jesus' life group? Angels come and attend him. What does that tell you? Man, did you see, you see the humanity of Jesus in that? Some of you are going through a stretch in your life. It's Matthew 4.11. You need the arms of the Lord and the arms of the body of Christ to come around you and attend to you because you're at the end of your rope. You're exhausted in the battle. You're right where Jesus was. Do you know who understands? Jesus understands. He's a good companion right there. Stay with him right there. So Jesus goes three rounds. At the end of the three rounds, he's spent. And do you see, I kind of pulled out two, two themes, like two practical, like, well, what do we do with this in our own battles? Like, how, how do we navigate our own battles? I, th- I see two things from Jesus here. How did he fight in this? Solitude and Scripture. Do you see these two? Who is he with in the wilderness? Says he was led alone by himself. Gang, you know there are some battles that we're going through that can only be fought in solitude with God. Now, I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying some of our battles, hear me now. Some of you are going through some things. And at the end of the day, that battle can only be fought in solitude with God. And then Jesus used Scripture. He responded to the lies that Satan threw at him with the truth of God's Word. It reminded me of the ATF agents in our world today. You know the ATF agents who are trained to deal with the counterfeit uh, currency going on? To kind of vet out the counterfeit? Do you know how they train them? They don't train them to figure out what all the counterfeit currency looks like. You know what they train them? They train them to know the original bill so well that all the counterfeits become obvious. When I heard that, I thought, that's what Jesus wants us to do right here. We got to know the original ways of God so well that anything that jumps off that's counterfeit becomes obvious. Because Satan used Psalm 91, twisting it towards Jesus. What's he going to do to us? We've got to be wise. We've got to be well-grounded. This is why our children's ministry, grounding our kids so early is important. Students, this is why Ian and Brad and the leaders keep God's word before you in middle school and high school. Why is this so critical? Because you've got to know the truth of God's ways well enough because there'll be no lack of counterfeits coming at you. And you stand strong in the midst of that battle. How? 
You look at the appetites battle and you say, you know what? I'm not settling for stones and bread. I'm going for the deeper living water and living bread that only he can bring. And I'm stepping off the treadmill of trying to prove myself because I'm a son or daughter of the Most High. He gets the last word. My value and worth comes from him. And I can rest confident in that. And then on this theme of power, I close with Henry Nouwen's words here. What makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asks, do you love me? We ask, can we sit at your right hand and at your left in your kingdom? Worship team, why don't you come on back up? So we're drawing this series to a close and just want to give you one final song together. We're going to receive our tithes and our offerings during this song. And if you're our guest today, you don't need to feel any obligation to participate. But if you want to give, uh, we try to steward every dollar given to us for God's glory. And you can give online. You can give with our app. Um, And as a basket comes by, you might want to place your prayer cards in there. Like you can pull off the bulletin if there's something you'd really like us to be praying for you and with you about. Please put it on there. If it's a confidential matter, mark that. And it just goes to the pastors only. And then during this song, as the team leads us through, I, I just want to invite us kind of one final act of declaring, how has God spoken into you through this series? And maybe it's one final step up here with the trust cross. If, if you haven't been around for a while and what this trust cross is about, that we spent uh, the last several weeks and even a couple months ago we started it, was just placing in a blank index card inside a trust envelope, sealing that envelope and laying it down at the cross. And saying, Jesus, this we want to trust you with this. That we believe this is how we're going to fight our battles. We're going to worship and pray and trust and obey right in the face of whatever our battles are. So maybe it's another step up here to the trust cross and kind of sealing up what the Lord has spoken into you about through that. Or maybe it's something at the prayer benches. Maybe it's this final song where you just want to come up and you just want to kneel before the Lord and say, Lord, 2019, there's no lack of things before me. But here's what I know that there's someone, there's someone, capital S, who comes between me and my battle. And no matter how big our battle, it's not bigger than Jesus. It's not bigger than that someone. And the bigger he gets in our eyes, it changes the atmospheric realities in which we live. And maybe one final time together as we enter into this year, we just say, you know what, Lord? I just want to stand in the eclipse of your majesty and supremacy and glory right in the face of my battle and say, Jesus, have your way. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for this series. Thank you for all that it's been in our church and in our lives individually and collectively. Thank you for this prayer week. Just unite our voices as we sing this together, Lord. And as we declare one final time that we want to be the kind of people who worship, who pray, who trust, and obey right in the face of whatever it is that we're battling. Get bigger and bigger in our eyes, we pray. In Jesus' holy